Welcome to the Relatable Finance Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joseph Carl and Shane Phillips. Welcome to today's episode of Relatable Finance. Today's episode, along with all episodes, is brought to you by our employer, Provenance Wealth Advisors, financial planning and investment firm headquartered in South Florida. Today, we're going to talk about the safety of your money. And like a lot of things that we talk about, this comes from repeatedly getting questions from our clients. This usually comes in the form of one or two main questions. The first still being, but what about what happened with Bernie Madoff? And the second is something along the lines of, should I sprinkle my money amongst many financial institutions for safety, for diversification? So in response to these questions, we'll talk about a couple of things today, including Madoff and other Ponzi schemes, and then how the investment industry is regulated and thus made safer for investors. Bernie Madoff and the words Ponzi are not names or phrases that we like to hear in the investment management industry, as they come with extremely negative connotations, and rightfully so. Nonetheless, we get these questions frequently, and it can often be a fear some have. While Shane and I can't go back in time and change what happened, we can educate our clients and listeners on how things unfolded, potential warning signs to look for, and also the broad array of protections that are out there for clients. At the end of the day, the financial management industry is highly regulated with many checks and balances. So to pull something off like that in today's environment takes considerable effort. Bernie Madoff. So what a crazy and perhaps unbelievable story. A very well-known, respected man for many, many years, and now a man that will forever be known for a gigantic financial fraud. Let's start with the beginning because it is a made-for-TV or Netflix special. Madoff started off by creating a penny stock brokerage firm back in 1960 and was a company that continued to grow and expand in many forms and be run by Mr. Madoff until he was arrested in 2008. One of his early achievements was to use computers and technology for stock market quotes, a technology that eventually led to the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, the world's first electronic stock market, which is pretty impressive. Madoff's firms has had many different functions, including at one point being the largest market maker for NASDAQ stocks and being the sixth largest market maker at the time of his arrest for S&P 500 stocks. While some parts of his businesses were legit, he admitted the asset management part of his business was a large Ponzi scheme, which at the time was worth about $65 billion. The scheme started in the 1990s or potentially could have gone all the way back to the 1960s. Madoff was investigated by the SEC numerous times over the years, but nothing ever came of the investigations. Two things that likely helped cover up some of the suspicions were his respect throughout the investment community. He was chairman of the NASDAQ for a time and beloved by many. And because a lot of his clients in the Ponzi scheme were close friends and family, in a lot of places, well-known philanthropic foundations. Because, you know, who wouldn't get your family, friends, and charities involved in the financial fraud, right? Madoff ran his asset management business and claimed to have amazing double-digit returns that were very consistent in many market types. This supposed performance history was incredibly attractive and was supposedly done through a split-strike conversion strategy, also known as a collar. These returns interested many investors, the absolute return of them in the double digits, but also the consistency of these returns, which is probably more remarkable. Ultimately, what he was doing was accepting investments, depositing the money to a bank account, and then using the money to pay out when redemptions were made. Being in the investment management industry, we're always aiming to try and outperform the market. 
But at times, this can be difficult to do. You need to take bets, and those bets need to always work out for you to consistently beat the market. And if you can do so consistently with what appears to be very little risk, it becomes extremely attractive. It is these consistent, strong returns that are what interested and ultimately negatively affected a lot of people. This has even affected New York Mets baseball team, whose owners were Madoff investors, who structured ultra long-term contract with players with the idea that they could make so much money by investing with Madoff that delaying the payments into the future would benefit them, essentially using leverage. If you have a few minutes, look up former Mets baseball player Bobby Bonilla's Mets contract from 1991, which will pay him annually through 2035. So how did he not get caught for 20, 30, or even 40 years? Here are a potential few reasons. First off, Madoff and his family were big political contributors throughout the years. Madoff even said that he was dear friends with the SEC chairman. So there was some friendliness with his main regulator. Madoff was active in the NASD, which is the National Association of Securities Dealers, a self-regulatory securities industry organization. He was chairman and a member of the Board of Governors. So seems like a pretty respectable guy, right? Third, Madoff, when asked about how he could have been caught, said he should have been caught in 2003, but they never asked the right questions. And by they, he probably means the SEC. And lastly, in 2004, a lawyer with the SEC uncovered some questionable things at Madoff. And when they wanted to move forward with further questioning, they were told to leave it alone. Supposedly, the boss that instructed this eventually married Madoff's niece, whom he met while investigating her uncle. Seems just a little bit odd. Just a bit, Shane. <laughs> yes. But even with some of the possible mistakes, falsifying investment statements, and consistent inflows covering his tracks for many years, ultimately this Ponzi scheme failed when the financial crisis hit starting in 2007. 2008 came and he was barely able to meet redemptions in November 2008. And when new redemption requests continued, along with the inability to borrow, as this was during the depths of the financial crisis, caused this long running scheme to topple. It is said that he had actually had it purchased securities for years, instead just leaving the money in cash. Now let's discuss briefly where the Ponzi scheme name came from. Charles Ponzi. Ponzi did not create this scheme, but he popularized it with now has a scheme named after him. Ponzi was an Italian born in 1882. His scheme took place in North America where he promised very high short-term returns. They were created through an arbitrage opportunity. In reality, it was as simple as paying investors with new money coming into a scheme and thus the Ponzi scheme. Mr. Madoff's was quite similar, but a bit more complicated. Very sad stories for many investors and hopefully were events that really changed how we look at these too good to be true investment situations. And hopefully the regulators took note of a lot of these people happenings and will protect investors better in the future. So based upon the fact that it happened in the 1920s, Ponzi's scheme may have been a little harder to figure out. But with the Madoff scheme, many, many mistakes had to happen by many people in order for it to continue as long as it did. However, many people were suspicious of the scheme, including a financial analyst named Harry Markopoulos, whom believed it mathematically impossible for Madoff to attain the returns he said he did and reported this to the SEC. And meanwhile, even many on Wall Street were suspicious as none of the major derivative firms were doing business with him as they questioned his returns, and none of these major Wall Street firms were investing with him either, which are some pretty big red flags. 
While people do make mistakes, the investment industry as a whole is very regulated. Shane and I see it every day in everything we do. There are processes in place to protect investors from bad apples, and those bad apples are caught and punished accordingly. So let's start with the group we have mentioned prior. The mission of the SEC is to protect investors, maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and to facilitate capital formation. There were obviously some missteps by the SEC during the years of the Madoff scandal, but this is a large independent agency of the government that is there to protect investors. This is an agency that came about after the severe crisis of the Great Depression that, and ultimately was formed after those events. After Madoff admitted to his crimes, the SEC began taking very big steps to help reduce the chance of similar future financial crimes occurring. These changes are widespread, but include improvements in areas such as how they handle complaints or tips, advocating for whistleblowers, improving fraud detection procedures, and integrating broker-dealer and investment advisor examinations. While this was a very unfortunate situation that should never have occurred, the SEC likely got a wake-up call and have improved their future activities. Along with the SEC, broader reforms were made in the name of Dodd-Frank Act, which real name was the Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. These reforms were broad, but were also giving more power and oversight to the SEC. Moving one onto the current state of the SEC, the current SEC is made up of five divisions, corporate finance, trading and markets, investment management, enforcement and economic risk analysis. Let's focus on the investment management division as that is where our interests lie. So this division oversees professionals like Joe and I, investment advisors, but also things like mutual fund companies. Our profession has widespread regulation and even to the extent where we need to be careful about what we say on this podcast. They uphold securities laws such as the Investment Company Act of 1940 and the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, two laws that has greatly affected the creation and current existence of the investment industry. For example, the SEC is playing a key role currently in the possible formation of certain kinds of crypto-related investment vehicles, with some of their concern being about the complexity of some of those investments. The SEC reviews investment firms frequently, usually at least once every three years, but usually more frequently. Another independent organization that oversees our industry is FINRA, or the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. FINRA oversees broker-dealers, which basically are firms that buy and sell securities on behalf of their clients. Broker-dealers are either wirehouses, which sell their own products, or an independent broker-dealer, which sells products from outside sources. Examples of broker-dealers would be Fidelity, Schwab, Raymond James. So how this works is Shane and I work for Provenance Wealth Advisors, PWA as we call it, and our broker-dealer is Raymond James, and FINRA oversees the broker-dealer, and thus PWA and Shane and I. And this is in addition to the SEC overseeing us as well. For instance, Madoff created his own investment statements for clients to view, and they had no online access. For us, the assets that we manage are custodied at Raymond James, the the online access provided is provided by Raymond James, and the account statements provided by Raymond James as well, our broker-dealer. This may seem like an advertisement for Raymond James, but the point is, is that having two independent firms that have different roles within the relationship greatly reduce the risk associated with any type of fraudulent activity. FINRA also administers numerous exams that are required in the many job functions in the investment world. They go by the name of series and include the series 63, the series 65, but the Series 7 is likely the most well-known of the bunch. This exam was discussed in many investment-related movies, including The Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room, and by passing this exam, 
it gives a representative the ability to buy and sell many forms of investments. We're not saying that anyone who passes an exam is going to always do the right thing, but these exams do make sure that you have a baseline of knowledge before you were able to do certain activities. There are also a significant amount of continuing education that you have to take to ensure you're being reminded of the rules and regulations, not to date on anything that may have changed. So we have a system set up to protect investors. More is being done now than ever before to do this. We have multiple levels of oversight, and with that, hopefully less of the people who would think of doing criminal activities are joining the investment industry. But else, what else can you do to make sure your money is safe? Our best advice for finding help is through someone you know and trust. Referrals from trusted friends and family are big, along with referrals from other trusted professionals, such as a CPA or a lawyer. You can also check the background of advisors through the SEC, through the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website, or bro broker check through FINRA. Now let's address the question of, do I need to have multiple accounts to spread out my risk? Our answer is no, unless you are investing with a poorly regulated small firm that has a lot of question marks. Make sure you're investing with someone you trust and ask questions about regulation. The level of scrutiny is large with many firms. So in our opinion, that is really not a risk that needs to be diversified. Owning multiple accounts can also hurt you. It will be harder to monitor your investments with multiple accounts. Fees can be higher when you have your money more spread out. The securities you buy at one firm are likely to going to be similar to the ones you hold at another firm, so it doesn't really give you different options to provide value. Some firms may specialize in certain types of investments that aren't available from everyone. Different investment options could be a reason for multiple accounts. This could be various. Uh, could be a scenario where one firm does something very well, like a real estate or a private equity fund, and that position can't be entered somewhere else. But if you're talking about two well-diversified portfolios, there's really no other reason other than personal preference to have accounts at multiple places. So to recap today's episode, the Madoff story is a terrible one and it's hard to believe it went on as long as it did. We think the industry as a whole learned a lot from the situation and moving forward, hopefully it is less likely to occur. Our industry as a whole is very highly regulated and you can even be safer by investing with someone you trust. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Relatable Finance. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at provwealth.com or check out our website, relatablefinancepodcast.com. Provenance Wealth Advisors is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered through Provenance Wealth Advisors and Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc., any opinions are those of Relatable Finance Podcast and PWA, and not necessarily those of Raymond James. The information contained in this report does not purport to be a complete description of the securities, markets, or developments referred to in this material. There is no assurance that any of the trends mentioned will continue or forecasts will occur. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but Raymond James does not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. Investment involves risk and you may incur a profit or loss regardless of strategy selected. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure a profit or protect against a loss. Investing involves risk and investors may incur a profit or loss. Raymond James does not provide tax or legal services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. 
Past performance does not guarantee future results. Future investment performance cannot be guaranteed, and investment yields will fluctuate with market conditions. Any examples given in the podcast are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary.